Radiolab is supported by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Radio Lab is supported by the John Templeton Foundation, funding research and catalyzing conversations that inspire people with awe and wonder. Learn about the researchers making the latest discoveries in the science of well-being, complexity, forgiveness, and free will at templeton.org slash podcast. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Oh, wait, you're listening. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. <clears throat> you're listening, listening to Radio Lab. Radio Lab. From WNYC. See? Yeah. <laughs> okay, let me make sure that's recording. You're going to tell me something? Yeah, I think I'm going to tell you about um, about diapers. Okay. So we order from diapers.com all the time, you know, because we have these kids. Is that of what it's actually called? called diapers.com. You guys don't know diapers.com? That's the actual name of the website? My God, it's like such a part of our lives. I just figure it would be like... <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like all the crap that you don't want to have to leave the house to get, you know? Mm-hmm. Like paper towels. Okay. Oh, God, I have to go down the street to get paper towels. Well, you, you can get it from diapers.com. So we well, order. Get, like, hey, this is Jad, Radio Lab. Uh, today, I want to play you a an older story that we think is still totally relevant. Actually, maybe more so now than when we played it originally. Uh, there's been, as I'm sure you heard, a ton of stuff in the news over the last few years about the entire universe of companies and warehouses and people who work at these places behind the scenes to fulfill all of this stuff that we so effortlessly buy online right? All of these harrowing stories about working conditions and unionization efforts. But back in 2016, we had a very unique opportunity to to crawl inside the day-to-day experience of these workers. And given how ubiquitous online ordering is now, we just found ourselves thinking back on that story. So we're going to play it for you. And um, if you stick around to the end, you'll hear kind of an amazing update from the reporter on this story. And uh, we'll just leave it at that for now. So back to the original conversation. How would you get paper towels delivered promptly? I tell you, this is exactly what, this is exactly the crux of the story. It's a simple story. And that we would order these giant boxes of shit from diapers.com and they would appear second day, three days later. And then one day Carla orders it and it appears the same day. The same day. Yeah. And now every time that we click submit on this thing, it shows up like three hours later, a huge box <gasps> of stuff. You must be only blocks from the worldwide headquarters of diapers.com Even and ties and thumbtacks. I was like, if someone asked me to pick up that stuff at the corner deli, it would take me all day. And somehow <laughs> it shows up like just in a few hours. And, I'm, and I, I just, I began to be like, what the hell happens after you hit submit? It's like magic. It's so wonderful. And that's the future. Damn it. So what ended up happening is I, I was thinking about this in a sort of passive way. And as often happens, things sort of converged. And I ended up reading this article 
by a writer our producer Pat ended up interviewing. Uh, yes. His name is Gabriel Mack. Uh, he's a totally badass investigative reporter, reported from war zones and natural disasters all over the world. And several years ago, he wrote a story for Mother Jones magazine where he actually got himself hired at one of these internet retailer warehouses. And they're called third-party logistics contractors, or 3PLs. That's what they call them in the, in the biz. And they basically handle all the goods that you order off the internet. So when you order something off the internet, you're actually probably dealing with a company that's not the company you think you're dealing with. And maybe you think there's robots that just make these items show up at your house within a few hours of you ordering them. But as Gabriel come to find out, a lot of the time... That's not how it works. Not even close. And we'll start at the beginning. When you're sitting on your couch and you hit submit... Your order bounces off some servers and ultimately gets funneled to a warehouse. Just a giant warehouse. If we were rounding, we would say it was a million square feet. So, What is a million square feet? Like, how many football fields could I fit in there? Or That would be a lot. About 17. So just imagine, like, a huge airplane hangar, 17 football fields long, filled with people. There's thousands of us. And all I can put us regionally is west of the Mississippi, because we can't say for legal reasons, where we were. Left half of the United States. Yes. I was hired as a picker. And pickers' jobs are basically to run around this cavernous warehouse and find the crap that you ordered off the internet. So basically, your day is, you arrive at the warehouse, you put all your stuff in the lunchroom because you can't take anything except for the clothes on your backs into the warehouse. As soon as they walk in, all the pickers are handed little computers. We get our little scanners. You have a handheld scanner. And it's on the little screens of those scanners that the orders you make sitting on your couch actually appear. It pops up like, go to this section, this region, this shelf, this unit, find a Malibu Barbie. Go. And it tells you how many seconds that you have to get there. Like 15 seconds. 14. 13. 12, and 11, it counts down. 10. It so counts the minute down? The item like counts it's a little... down. <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh. And so it like pops up 15 seconds, 14, like, 13, boop, 12. Boop, boop. Did that scanner right. that you used make sounds? Fuck. I'm almost positive it did. Can you imitate it? <laughs> like what? Beep. 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 It's like that. In any case... You're standing in the middle of 17 football fields. You've got 15 seconds to find the region that has the shelf, that has the bin, that has the Barbie. And then scan it, Beep. put it in a little plastic tote, and then the plastic totes get set on conveyor belts, and they get carried away into some other magical area where people put it in boxes and send it to your house. And as soon as he's done that, the next item will immediately pop up, and it'll say, go to this section, this region, this unit, find a dildo, let's say. Because there are lots and lots and lots and lots of people ordering dildos on the internet, apparently. And so you have 40 seconds, 39, 38, 30 to make it to the bin with the dildos in it. Which could be a football field away. You go as fast as you can. Find the dildo. Scan your dildo. Beep. Put it in the tote. Next item pops up. Find an olive oil mister. Do you remember specific names of, of things? There were a lot of vitamins. Beep. Male enhancement pills. Beep. Lots of iPad things. Really? Oh my god. There's so many things that you can put on and around an iPad. Like an iPad cover. Beep. Carrying cases. Beep. Protective cases. Beep. Stand that you could put your iPad on so it worked like a computer screen. Beep. A handheld like iPad glove thing. Beep. Dildos and iPad accessories are like the most popular items that I picked for sure. Did you ever find a dildo that goes around an iPhone? 
That would be like the, no! the perfect internet thing. I'm sure it's in there though. You know, you don't really have time to even look at what you're doing. There's just like a second where your brain is like, why does this product exist? Why does this product Why does this exist? product exist? That's sort of like a whisper all the time in the background, but for the most part, it's kind of a blur. Video games, beep. baby food, beep. diapers, beep. paper towels. Beep. Who is ordering paper towels yeah. on the internet? Like, who's the person who's doing this? Um. And I was hired as a picker because of my youth and my fitness, uh-huh. which is to say that I'm not in my 70s because there were a lot of people in the place who were... In their 60s, in their 70s. In really? Their... That that old? Oh, yeah. This is like old white ladies. Gabriel says when he talks to people about this, most of them assume the warehouse is full of like young Mexican people. But in fact, he says where he worked, it was mostly white people. And most of them were older than him. I was 32, at the, 31 at the time. Wow. That's why they gave me a job where you run around a lot. Actually, on one of the consent forms he had to sign before he was hired. It said that we were going to walk 12 miles a day. But... Going into it, I was like, yes, picker. I was actually really excited. You know, you get some exercise right now. My job, if I'm not out, like, actively reporting, is to sit on my ass, right? And type and stuff. So I was like, score. Like, you know, I'm going to do a good job. And I didn't think it was going to be my favorite thing in the world, but I thought it would be interesting and challenging, and I would do a good job. And I was so wrong about all of those things. First of all, in this warehouse, and again, we can't say which one it is, nothing was organized the way you'd expect it to be. Like if you're looking for a dildo, it might just be in some random box. This is like a bin full of crap. Thrown in with a bunch of other things. You know, so there's a bunch of batteries in there and an iPad anti-glare cover and then there's 10 CD, you know, whatever. Products seem haphazardly stored next to each other. And that's by design, according to this guy, Brad Stone. I'm the author of The Everything Store. Which is a book that looks specifically at Amazon. There's actually some very sophisticated software that is governing Amazon fulfillment centers. What happens is, say the warehouse gets a shipment of 17 dildos in. Instead of taking those dildos to, like, the dildo section, the computer will figure out how much shelf space or bin space those dildos need and where in the warehouse those bins are. So it might say, let me put four dildos over here and three over there. The the invisible hand that orchestrates uh, the symphony that is Amazon's fulfillment center is called the mechanical sensei. The mechanical sensei. And it not only tracks, you know, where to put items, it tracks what the most efficient routes are for the pickers to go through these shelves in the shortest amount of time. Like imagine you sit down and order 14 products at one time. What the computer does is it will farm that order out to 14 different pickers in different parts of the warehouse. And then it will coordinate the timing so that each picker is grabbing the item, putting it on a conveyor belt in a certain order so that all the products arrive to the same box at the same moment. It'll make sure that box is just big enough, but not too big. It figures out when to get those boxes on trucks and when those trucks should leave. And eventually, if you believe Jeff Bezos, the sensei will send out fleets of tiny helicopter drones that will deliver your packages to your doorstep at lightning speed, no humans involved. So yeah, for the moment, most of the time saving they're going to get is from making the human pickers pick faster. Because if you think about it, once the packages get on trucks... The truckers are still going to have to follow the speed limit. But there's no OSHA laws about how fast you can make people work inside the warehouse. And the way you make those people fast, at least in the warehouse Gabriel worked in, is by treating them like drones. For example, you're digging through the bin and you see lots of other stuff, but 
not the thing that you're looking for. So these scanners assume you're an idiot and you just aren't seeing it. Like you can't swear to the scanner that it's really not there. So you have to scan every item in the bin to prove that it's not there. Really? So this, the one time this happened to me, I mean, it happened to me a bunch of times, but one of the times it was like 30 individually wrapped batteries in this bin. And so I have to scan every single one. Beep, beep. before my scanner will let me go on. But I'm not given extra time to do that. And my, you know, my scanner the whole time is like... Three, two, one, zero. Now one, it's counting the seconds two, that you're late. Three, four. Does it go five, into the red or something? Six, yeah. So you know exactly seven, how late you are and you're trying to scan nine, your stupid ten. olive oil mister. Gabriel says within the first few hours of his first shift, a supervisor walked up to him, said... You're only making... 48% of your goal because you're supposed to be picking something like 170 items per hour. 170 things an hour? Yes. Wow. It was the first time in my life because I'm an overachieving nerd from the Midwest. I went to Catholic school, you know. First yeah. time in my life, somebody came up to me and was like, you're doing a really bad job. Yeah. You're... And I was like, me? By the third day, he says, he's doing a little better. It was like 50%. 50% of my goal, I asked my supervisor at one point, you know, can I pee just like in the middle of the day? And he was like, of course, this isn't China, but it's going to hurt your numbers. So he thought, screw it. You know what? I'm not going to pee. I, I'm going to hold it. Till lunch. The minimum shift is 10 and a half hours. And in that 10 and a half hours, you have 29 minutes and 59 seconds for lunch. They tell if you it's that? 30 not, minutes, not 30 minutes? They told us that. If it's 30 minute and one second, you get docked points. And if you get docked enough points, you get fired. Especially if you're new. They told me when I got hired at the temporary staffing agency, they had videos about it. They had people walking around telling you, you cannot miss any time or be one minute late at any point during your first week of orientation. And so... To sort of illustrate this point, he says that during his orientation, the lady leading our training says, you know, take Brian. She points to a guy in the back of the room. Brian used to work here and then his girlfriend had a baby. So he missed a day and he was fired because it doesn't matter if you have doctor's notes or baby pictures or whatever it is. There are no exceptions to this rule. And so Brian had to go back to the temporary staffing agency, go back through their application process, get hired by them clear a new drug test and go back through the training that he had mostly, you know, already done. And now he's sitting in this group with us and the lady's like, oh, welcome back, Brian. You know, everybody don't end up like Brian. So Gabriel says, when you finally make it to lunch, you finally pee. You just shovel food into your face while you watch your watch. And occasionally in between chewing. People talk. And everybody is asking each other, why are you here? Which is like you know, in prison. And we actually, we actually fact-checked this because I was like, do people in prison really always ask each other what they're in for? Right, or is that or just, is that just in we, movies? We, yeah. And we, we fact-checked it, and I, I asked this guy who'd been in federal prison, and he was like, it's the only conversation people are having. Gabriel remembers the people at his table were like, I got laid off, I used to be an accountant, I used to be a store manager, I used to work in a restaurant. All over the place. Everybody was something else in another life. Gabriel says, on one of his last days, he came back from work. Yeah, I came home from work. 
I took a bath, trying to sort of soak out some of the soreness so that I would be prepared and ready to wake up again and and do it all over and make my numbers, which I, you know, was still failing to make. Mm -hmm. And I I was Skyping with one of my friends and he was like, how's it going? And I was like, because they fired this guy because he had a baby and people are terrible. And yeah, I cried about it a little bit. I hadn't realized really how mean the system was not just that it was tiring and not just that it hurt your body but that it was it was mean at in every way at every turn that it possibly could be it kind of punched me in the face a little bit coming up i visit an amazon warehouse we'll be right back Science reporting on Radio Lab is supported in part by Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. Radio Lab is supported by Babbel. Sometimes self-improvement can feel like a pretty overwhelming journey. So what if this year you just got a tiny bit better every day? When you are learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. Babbel is a science-backed language learning app with quick 10-minute lessons that have been handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. You can learn everything you need to have real-world conversations, café s'il vous plaît, from vocabulary words to culture and more. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a few months or a full year. Here is a special limited time deal for Radiolab listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Radiolab. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash Radiolab, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Radiolab. Rules and restrictions may apply. Radiolab is supported by the John Templeton Foundation funding research and catalyzing conversations that inspire people with awe and wonder. Learn about the researchers making the latest discoveries in the science of well-being, complexity, forgiveness, and free will at templeton.org slash podcast. For so many Black people, the whiz feels like home. The new stage revival has Broadway buzzing, and as it gears up for a national tour, We'll consider the impact this story continues to have 50 years down the yellow brick road. I'm Kai Wright. Join me on the next Notes from America as we pay tribute to the Wiz. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, welcome back. Uh, I'm Pat Walters. This is Radio Lab. Um, so it used to be that when you order something off the internet, it would take like a week to show up. And obviously, in the last few years, that's changed. Now you order something and it shows up the next day or sometimes the very same day, even though the shipping is totally free. And before the break, uh, we heard from a reporter named Gabriel Mack uh, about the cost of that speed. Gabriel embedded in one of the warehouses that ships out the crap that we order on the Internet. And what he found there was pretty grim. Hello, hello, hello. 
Not too long after I talked to Gabriel, I went home from the holidays, which just happens to be near one of the biggest Amazon warehouses on the East Coast. Just outside Allentown, Pennsylvania. And we should say again that Gabriel did not necessarily work at an Amazon warehouse. But talking to him had gotten me curious. This is a warehouse that, in July of 2011, made some really big headlines. Because the temperatures inside the warehouse had gotten so hot that people had started to collapse from heat stroke. And rather than put in air conditioning or send people home, the warehouse instead just had local paramedics wait outside and cart people away. And once the news broke, Amazon did install air conditioners, but I was curious to see if things had changed. And based on the people that I met, you work here? like before I got kicked out, it's kind of hard to tell. About... What do you do, if you don't mind me asking? I'm a picker. You're a picker? This woman who I met in the parking lot told me that she'd been working as a picker for about a month. Can you describe what it what the work is like? Well, it's it's easy for me. Everybody has their own opinion, but I have lost a lot of weight. Um, like I like it. You like it? Yeah, I like what I do. And when I went into the lobby of the building, yeah, yeah. it's it's fantastic. And then I met this guy. Um, who told me he was the warehouse I mean, DJ. That during the holiday rush, the company would move him around to different departments, depending on like, who needed motivation. Oh, yeah. like you DJ? These people take care of their people here. Yeah? I did karaoke shows, we did dance contests. Wait, like, at, like while people were at work? Yeah. They're dancing yeah. in place, you know, I'd do the Cupid Shuffle or, or do something crazy like the chicken dance, you know, doing stuff like that, you know. Yeah. And I, I played everything from, uh, you know, Christmas songs to funk from the 70s to bachata and uh, Metallica, Bollywood music. Yeah. yeah. There were some old Indian women that were packing up boxes and stuff. And then, there were, you know, everything, Jamaican, reggaeton. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I mean, we did not have a DJ or a karaoke contest, which I would have won for the record. <laughs> I mean, I like karaoke more than almost anyone, but that's not going to fix the the main issue, which is that they're working these people like draft horses. Although the, that woman I talked to seemed to dig it. Well, not every I mean, not every person that I worked with hated it. I mean, there were a lot of people who made their numbers and they made their numbers every single day. And there were people who made over their numbers. And I don't even understand what was going on with that but they were very matter of fact about it or maybe That's i was fine. thinking this is a talent like like maybe uh <laughs> if you try to become a lacrosse player and you're just not very speedy and you don't like physical contact that that's not a great sport for you and you should play golf i mean i'm from the midwest you know i'm hardy work stock <laughs> i was a, i was a mover for years and years and years. Like when you call people and they have to come to your house and put all your crap in boxes and then load all the boxes onto trucks and then move them to another place. That was my job for years. So I do... So, I mean, do you order off the internet now? I mean, after having done this, do you, have, you, have you sworn off of it? I try, I try not to order anything off the... I don't actually buy that much stuff. But certainly, I mean, no, I'm not like ordering my paper towels off the internet, if that's what you mean. (laughs) No, I don't know who would do that. that. That's ridiculous. (laughs) Can you imagine that I thought that it was novel that I was fulfilling an order for online paper towels at that time? Like, that wouldn't... You, that's not the reaction you would have now. And I was like, what jerk? Well, and even when I was working in that warehouse, I was like, who is doing this? But of course, 
and I imagine this is partly why you guys are rearing this now, right? Like the only thing anybody does who doesn't have to go out into the world and work is sit home and order things. Oh my God. On the internet. Like I know now it's just like everybody orders everything and it just comes. Yeah. I feel like we have tipped headlong into the world that we were, we were looking at in the story. And now that is just the world. Unfortunately, where, where else do paper towels even come from? People don't even know. <laughs> no, I know. They just come from the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so this is Gabriel Mack and we brought him back into the studio for a bit of an update. So, I mean, I talked to you seven years ago and yeah. obviously I did, a, you know, I did a bunch of stuff in the interim, but the last like thing, like voice related thing that I did was, um, I was on the daily, you know, the New York times podcast in late yeah. 2017, which was about 15 seconds before I started transitioning. Oh wow! So, and that was it. So it's been three and a half years and I've been sort of in like, feels like I've been in like voice hiding a little bit, if I'm being totally mm -hmm. honest. So it's like, it's interesting because I, I was thinking about uh, the, I mean, just to what you were saying about not just the story that we did, but like the, all of these stories you've made, like in books and awards, and now you're this new person with a new name and, uh, well, actually, can I stop you there? Yeah. The new, that's the thing that I find people say with some frequency, like, okay whole new person yeah, yeah. that I'm an old person that I'm the old person you're the old person yeah it's like becoming to me I mean I will only speak for myself here although this is not in my experience a rare uh feeling about this transitioning isn't about becoming somebody new it's about becoming somebody old like your old <laughs> iteration that you just couldn't embody before so no no, no. okay so th that does that that does make sense but i guess i'm wondering um like because you've done you have all this work that you created before you transitioned i mean you won all these awards and you had these like amazing magazine features but that all had a different name associated with them so do you do you think about having to reclaim that work in some way because it was done under a different name? I mean, as this conversation totally proves, like that work lives, like it still lives and it still breathes and it gets reissued or rediscovered yeah. all the time. So it's not like it's just sitting somewhere in a vault, in, in which case I'd be like, whatever, you know, but it, it doesn't, it's, it's, it's still alive. And this actually, this, piece that we're talking about, this Radiolab piece, mm -hmm. is probably the one I think of the most often because of how I introed and ID'd myself, mm. where in the first, whatever, 15 seconds of my talking, I identify myself as a lady reporter, which I frequently did. Yeah. <laughs> it it yeah. just, yeah, it's, it's a lot. But I think about it all the time, actually, this interview specifically. Oh yeah, we caught, we obviously cut that from the original, uh, so it's not in there anymore. But what it was telling to me that when I was thinking back on this piece, I could kind of remember the beats of the piece, but what I really remember for some reason was you IDing yourself as lady reporter. Really? For some reason that just like sticks in my head. And I was like, oh, well, that's, it's interesting to me that that sticks in my head and that means something. So let's maybe, talk about it. Maybe you have a 
a trans spidey sense that you like somewhere deep in your subconscious that you're not even aware of. <laughs> maybe. I don't I'm know. serious. Like maybe that stuck with you as like something in the universe in, in, in your body was just like flag that for later. <laughs> yeah. It's like just noted, <laughs> file that away. Something's so, happening here. I don't know what it is, but yeah. in seven years, I'll figure out why something in my bones was like, <laughs> hmm. I mean, it could be. I don't know. Yeah, I have remembered that always. Always. Mm. I actually talk about the fact that I did it in the intro to my new book. <laughs> like, no that's way. how. Yeah, no, that's how much of a. Because to me, that's like how clear it was that I was really grasping this identity but it's a completely ridiculous answer to a perfectly straightforward question that somebody asked me who are you like saying calling yourself Mm. a lady doctor is a commentary on the stupid patriarchy it just is in the shortest most efficient way that you could possibly issue one right so there were layers of that happening but i mean you're right like the gender of the person who reported this story is not particularly relevant to the late capitalist internet third-party logistics industrial complex dystopia that we live in that that is a true story well um let's go ahead and have you re-id yourself tell us who you are and what you do um it's gonna take me a minute it's a big i'm having a moment you can't see me because my camera doesn't work take take your time sitting here having a moment Maybe I'm going to be the first person who cries through their ID oh, <laughs> on your yeah. show. Would I be the first person? I think so. Yeah. I like that you have to think about it, though. Uh, My name is Gabriel Mack, and I'm a writer and investigative reporter and a human person. Thank you to writer and reporter Gabriel Mack and producer Pat Walters. I'm Jan Abumran. This is Casey calling from Fort Myers Beach, Florida. Radiolab is supported in part by the National Science Foundation and by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science and technology in the modern world. More information about Sloan at www.sloan.org. Hi, this is Jonathan Chan calling in from Singapore. Radiolab was created by Jad Abumrad and is edited by Soren Wheeler. Lulu Miller and Latif Nasser are our co-hosts. Susie Lechtenberg is our executive producer. Dylan Keefe is our director of sound design. Our staff includes Simon Adler, Jeremy Bloom, Becca Bressler, Rachel Cusick, David Gable, Matt Kilty, Annie McEwen, Sara Kari, Ariane Wack, Pat Walters, and Molly Webster, with help from Shima Oliayi, Sarah Sandback, and Kareem Leong. Our fact checkers are Diane Kelly and Emily Krieger. 
Radiolab is supported by the John Templeton Foundation, funding research and catalyzing conversations that inspire people with awe and wonder. Learn about the researchers making the latest discoveries in the science of well-being, complexity, forgiveness, and free will at templeton.org slash podcast.